Welcome back to the Decipher podcast. This is Lindsay O'Donnell Welch with Decipher, and I am here today at Black Hat in Las Vegas with Greg Notch. Greg is the CISO of Expel. Thanks so much for joining me today, Greg. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to be talking to you and to be here in person in Vegas. I love it. It's uh, it's it's always nice to make connections in person now, especially post COVID. Yeah, I love seeing people's faces in person as opposed to in the little Zoom box. Um, so you have an extensive past in cybersecurity. Um, currently, you're with Expel, but previously you were the CISO with the NHL or the National Hockey League. And before the NHL, you've kind of worked for many years in security um, for you know Apple, Yahoo Search, and several other New York-based technology startups. How did you get into security at the start, really? What was your, your path? Um, it was a bit of happenstance. Um, I, I was working at the NHL and, you know, sort of prior to the Sony breach in, in 2013 or 2014, um, security was like part of like IT and like infrastructures folks' jobs for the most part. You know, big companies had security programs, but uh, but generally speaking, it wasn't a thing that businesses had. And sort of the Sony breach was that moment where, where things changed. So... My security experience sort of prior to that was as a part of the rest of the work I was doing, um, networking or, or infrastructure. But at that moment, you know, I was at the, at the NHL and it became a top of mind concern for the board, you know, and, and such. And so I, I produced this proposal where I was like, look, we probably need to build an information security program. You should probably hire a CISO and, and hire staff like this, budget like this sort of, sort of things. And, they were like, great, why don't you get started? And there, I had this moment where I was like, well, you know, probably you want to have some different expertise working on this. And they said, no, well, you'll probably be able to ta- we'll tackle it. And that was in a, a, a kind of an aha moment. I was like, wow, it's really a, a problem that the boards wants to solve. And so I, I started to, to build the program and, and look at the things that were needed for a, a hockey league specifically to, to have in a security program and sort of took off from there. So my first real security job was actually as a CISO, which is a little, little weird. Yeah, it's funny you say that. A lot of other CISOs that I've talked to have had similar experiences where, you know, either they're going to the company and saying, I think you need a CISO or you need at least a security program or the company is telling them we need to fill this CISO role and it's something that is brand new. Um, that's kind of the experience that I'm hearing. Yeah, I think there's two, well, there's two real different kinds of CISOs, right? Like there's the ones that came up through the tech organizations and ones that were more risk management shaped. More mature security programs already had risk management banks and, and other folks that were that were doing that. So there's sort of those two paths in. And I think, you know, sort of if you were starting in 2013 or 2014, that was a more common path. I mean, there was no education, right? You couldn't get a master's in cybersecurity in, in 2013. It just didn't exist. And I think now, like, you've seen academia and you've seen people realize it's a career path earlier. And I think we're seeing, like, an influx of really great talent of people who are, you know, business and technology leaders, but they're really cyber-focused from day one. I think that's that's changed things a little bit, but... 
Yeah, yeah, that's kind of the the experience that I um, heard about when I was talking to CISOs. So when you were working at the NHL, how was your experience rolling out the security program? What was kind of the first steps that went into that? Uh, so it was a, it was a meandering. I, I looked at it as like a, a business and technology problem. Like I had looked at everything else in my career. It's like, okay, this is a business problem. We're managing t- uh, technical risk. Like, okay, how do how do I define the risks that are in my environment and how do I attack them? And immediately, I you know I started talking to peers first, right? Like, hey, how are you approaching this? What are some best practices? Um, I started to look at what was available in the market like technology and, and, and staffing wise. So I was like, well, what roles are open at other companies? Like, how are they like, what does an org chart for this look like? What does a budget for this look like? And I quickly realized like there was like a couple of common themes, but people were all over the place in doing this. And particularly when I looked at the technology portion of the market, I was like, wow, these, this is just, this is not how I want to build this. This doesn't make any sense. And so quickly I realized that there was a, a divergence between what the market was doing and what I, what I thought was going to be good for the league. And so I started talking to friends in venture capital for, for, to do shared problem solving. It's like, well, look, I need stuff that solves these problems. Um, and I need, and they don't exist yet. So who's building these companies because I want to partner with them. And so that started a sort of a, a side journey of, sort of venture advisory, but also like business problem solving with venture capital. And that's how I built the program. Like almost every single one of the NHL's tools initially, and a good amount of their partners were venture back, like early stage companies who were kind of, kind of on that trajectory. And it, it bore a lot of, a lot of fruit. Yeah. Yeah. I think going to the VCs for their viewpoints is really an interesting way of kind of approaching the security program and how to roll that out. I mean, at the time, like the best, the best thinking was like, you need to, to build a sim and then you need to hire like a staff of people to kind of stare at a screen looking at it. And I, and I had built operational functions that looked like that previously. And I was like, that's a really expensive way to solve this problem. Um, and I didn't like nothing on the market at the time was really addressing it. And that was, it was a big problem. And I think even the detection technologies that existed at the time weren't, weren't quite, weren't quite what you would, were like, at least not for a hockey league, right? I'm, I'm sure they worked well for like the businesses they initially targeted, but it wasn't a thing that was, that was good for them. Yeah. Yeah. And I know nothing about the sporting industry sector to be upfront uh, as it relates to security, but what were some of the top challenges that you needed to deal with in this industry um, when you were rolling this program out? Sure. Uh, I mean, the number one thing that's that sports leagues care about is their brand reputation. Like they're, they're effectively licensing their content for, uh, for distribution. And so the value is in the eyeballs. The value is in the fan connection. The va- and so anything that preserves that or, and, or defending things that could disrupt that. So it's about protecting the content supply chain, uh, uh certainly the brand reputation, uh, you know, th- like there's fan data, Right. So as a, as a market to fans or as a, as a sell tickets to fans, there's a huge amount of information about the fans and their, their habits that, you know, you're, you're duty bound to protect. And so if you think about crown jewels there, there's like that class of problems. And then there's a secondary, probably things that people don't think about is they also manage like the health and wellness of the players. Um, there's a lot of, and so there's a lot of what, what you would, Call medical data. It's not really medical data, but it's information about their performance or like things that they're doing to help them. And all of that is, is 
very crown jewel. So they're like you're, you have traditional data protection problems, but it's like the brand twist. And probably the most unique part of it is it's a, you have 30 member organizations or not 32 member organizations that are part of a, like a federated thing. And that, that's sort of unique. And so I had a, I had a good chance to partner with my peer CISOs at MLB and the NFL at the time to, to build a consortium of people who are solving the same problems. Yeah, the point about kind of player-related data is interesting, too. I mean, would that fall under HIPAA, or what were you seeing there with that? We treated it as such, yeah. right? Like, they, I mean, we treated that stuff with the absolute utmost care. Um, so, and certainly it, it complied with HIPAA and, and well beyond. Um, so, there, you know, it has, it, it had that effect, but it, like, it, in terms of impact to the business, I think actually the front side of the, like in terms of like, you know, cost to the business, I think the front side was actually the bigger problem, but both were, were, were relevant. Yeah, makes sense. Um, yeah, you talked a little bit about business risk and, you know, I think for CISOs, it's such an important part of the role to be able to communicate um, not just the technical risk, but how it relates to the business and the organization and to convey that business risk. How were you communicating this and who were some of the key stakeholders that you were talking to when you had these discussions within the organization? Well, first, let me say that was a hard one lesson. Like I made the mistake of not doing that. And that's how I learned not to do it. Um, I, I had a moment where I was I was talking to the, the CFO and the general counsel about like how, how we, like why we needed to protect things. And I was like rolling through like the malware kill chain, like explaining like how like an email yields like this. And I like about five minutes into talking, I realized I'd lost the room. Yeah. Um, and like, they, they're just like, well, just, can you just bottom line up front this for me right now? And I was like, okay. And that, and at that moment taught me like, okay, I need to speak the language of the room that I'm sitting in. And the language of the room that I'm sitting in is either legal risk in the case of the general counsel or financial outcomes in the case of the chief financial officer. And I better make this make sense to them because they're not going to go and learn about cybersecurity or IT. And that, that moment like was, was huge for me. And so some of the ways that I've learned to do that is you know, make sure you have dollars, um, you know, expressing risk in terms of, you know, not just one outcome, but like if we spend X, we get Y results, you know, we're guessing, right. We're clear. We're guessing, but like if we, and if we spend more, we think we can get this result. And so you, you give a continuum of financial options and, you know, I'm very clear about the assumptions that go into the risk, right? It's like, well, we actually don't know this, but this is, this is what's behind our guess. And, and as if you, you start framing it in terms of, well, we think this is a $10 million problem and that has a 10% likelihood of happening. And if we spend, you know, $50,000, we can make those numbers do this. Now all of a sudden you have a conversation that a CFO can track. Um, if you're talking to a lawyer, you can talk about, you, you put it, you frame it in litigation risk or other, like you speak to the language of the people that you're in the room with. Yeah, and I'd imagine that would be fairly difficult to just be able to understand all that and be able to look at the financial aspect of a company, the operational aspect of a company, the um, legal side of things, compliance, regulatory things. Um, you know, how do you really juggle all that? I think it helps that I was always a business forward technology person, right? Like I, so I spent the first I don't know three or four months uh, since joining Expel. Um, learning how the business functions, like how to, like, 
like, how does revenue happen? Like, how does, and, and I knew, but like, there's knowing and then they're seeing it like in, in a front row seat. Like, how do we operate our business? What are the important, crucial things for us to protect? In our case, it's our customers' data, right? And, and, uh, and ensuring that the people that work on our customers' data are, are, are protected themselves as well as the, as well as the customer data itself. So, but it took a, but I don't think it's credible to talk about a security program until you understand how the business makes money. How the internal functions operate with each other, who the important stakeholders are, and how you can address their needs. Like, not to put too fine a point on it, but security and IT are GNA functions. They're not. They're not leading the business, even at a security company. And so, I think that's an important like thing to to walk in within in your head. Yeah, it's so true. You know, if an organization is deciding or determining if they should roll out a certain program or something, like. As a CISO, you can talk to them about the risks that that might present to the organization and give them that risk profile. But at the end of the day, you know, it's going to be up to the leaders to pull the trigger on whether they want to accept that that risk or how many how much of the risk they would like to accept. And, um, you know, it'll be up to them if they want to actually roll out the program or not. Yeah, I mean, I don't believe a CISO should ever accept risk. Like, like our, our duty is to inform, and the the business makes risk. I mean, the business makes risk decisions in these areas all the time. I mean, your general counsel is making lit- litigation risk trade offs. Your CFO is making financial risk trade offs. Like, the, this is happening already. You're just another, like, another lens on that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're bringing that risk uh, lens to them. Yep. So I'm curious, you know, switching gears here a little bit, but when you talk to CISOs, um, and I'm sure you've talked to many, um, what are some of the top challenges or or risks or threats that are keeping them up at night, um, whether that's on the technical side, whether that's on the business side, or whether that is having to do with the CISO role itself? I'd say there's, I mean, you talked about sort of three different classes of that. You know, the technical risk, I think everyone's talking about the the rise of LLMs and like the risk that that poses to business. A lot of ink is being spilled on that topic. Um, I, I think as far as like the the role of the CISO and the the bigger risks that are happening right now, I think that's actually perhaps more interesting, which is for basically the first time in 20 years, CISOs are having their budgets constrained. Like it isn't endless growth forever. You're not, you know, like there isn't this, like I'm growing my, my security budget 10% year over year. Like that's like all of a sudden some, some maturity is being forced on them. And I think that's changing the CISO role a little bit like, Oh, you're, you now have a security P and L for your function in some ways. Um, and then also the, how do I do less with more? Uh, or sorry, more with less. Yeah, please don't do less with more. Uh, <laughs> please don't do that. Um, how do I do more with less? And that's an important thing because now all of a sudden you're in this this moment where you're adding leverage and you're optimizing programs in a way that hasn't happened. I think it's great because it's 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 a forcing function for maturity, and I think that will that will only benefit the industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm curious how you would approach that issue of limited budget or resources or personnel, because I think that this is an issue that organizations are facing across the spectrum. Obviously, SMBs have such limited resources that, you know, they're not going to have a CISO, let alone um, like a a fully staffed IT team or cybersecurity team. Um, But then all the way up to enterprises, that's something that applies as well. Yeah. I mean, I've always felt for the folks that are sort of, you know, not 
that if you're an SMB, like security is a rough place, right? It, yeah. it, it, it really, it really is. And it's one of the reasons I joined Expel because I really felt like we had a chance to, to help them build an economical program. But the, you know, it, it, you, it forces prioritization. Like the, the, the constraint on cost is like, all right, well, what it forces you to ask the question, what is my biggest risk and what am I spending to reduce them? Which is the right question. And then it forces questions like, well, what am I going to do next? If I give you another, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars, whatever the, the number is for your budget, um, what would you do next and why? And that, and what, what is the next most important risk for you to reduce? And I think that is clarifying, um, it, like terrifying also, but clarifying in, in your program is like, well, I can't do everything that I want. I can't buy, you know, one of every category and just hire an infinite number of people if I can find them to run the tools. Like, oh, okay, I got to take a strong look at, it, it brings you back to the business. Like, okay, I got to protect revenue or I have to protect my customers and this is what I got to do. Yeah, I'm curious where you see the CISO role going. I mean, do you see it maturing at all? I, I think first and foremost, they're forced to becoming. We're, we're being forced to become business people, which matters. Um, I th- I think also it's a like as a maturing of an operational function. It's like it's less about the technology, though the technology is important, mm-hmm. and more about the operation itself. Mm-hmm. Like, am I building? The, am I driving efficiency? and leverage out of my program. And I think that's, that's new. That's, those are for some of the CISOs that came up through the technical side of things. Like these are new muscles to be developed. These are new conversations to be had. And I think in that way, you know, we're trending towards risk management as opposed to trending towards solve the latest vulnerability. And I think that's a, that's a, it's a good thing. Yeah, I think there's a lot of different facets to that too, like responsibility. How responsible is the CISO versus the other kind of stakeholders within in organization? So there's a lot of different parts and pieces there of, of the role. Sure. I mean, I don't know if you're referring more to the the recent SEC regulations. Um, yeah, I mean, that's it's certainly. I mean, look. Being a CISO right now is like being a CFO before gap accounting was invented, right? Like there just don't, like there isn't a standard by which you could measure a program. Um, and I, well, there are, there's just 20 of them, right? And, 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 you, and you choose your own. And so I think the, the SEC is forcing some consistency and maturity and most importantly, transparency. I mean, they're, if they're being with the lens of shareholder, you know, like valuation, but the, 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 net effect of that is I think is going to be twofold. One is we're going to see, we're going to hear more about breaches. We're going to understand their financial impact a little bit more. And I think that's useful because that's the grist for the mill of any risk model. Like, oh, here's all the breaches that happened. And this is what it did to the valuation of those companies or what they paid to fix it or whatever. And if that stuff is public, now the rest of us can use that as, as benchmarking um, for for the risk models that we're going to build for our programs. So I, I think in some ways there's going to be the second order effect of, make, of that being useful for the industry at large. Yeah. And I think to your point there right now in the industry is a focus on transparency, whether that's through cyber attack reporting or um, otherwise. So that should be interesting to see how that pans out. Um, One other thing I wanted to discuss was that Expel had a new Cloud Security Alliance report that looked at um, all these different um, pieces of security. But one piece of it that stuck out to me was how organizations understand that security is an innovation enabler versus a cost center. Um, what are your thoughts on kind of that 
piece of the report and what that means for CISOs? Yeah, sure. I mean, there's always been the truism that the earlier you get security involved in innovation, the cheaper it is, right? Because bolting it on at the end is like the most expensive way to solve that problem. Um, so there's, so I think we've taken that and like the next natural step is, well, look, we can actually help you build it in from the get go. And then we can make you go faster and going faster in an engineering and, 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 and innovation means cheaper and ultimately revenue opportunity, right? If you're bringing, if your innovation goal is to bring something to market or your innovation goal is to bring some new business process to fruition within your enterprise, like the faster you go, the better it is and the cheaper it is. And the, the more, the, the more time you have to have it generate the positive business outcome that you're looking for. And so the, like it's gone from like, well, get security involved early because we, it'll be easier to like get security involved earlier because it's going to enable the business outcomes that you're looking for. I think that, and I think that's super important to, for people to, to recognize yeah, yeah. And that's something that has been a big focus here at Black Hat is that um, CISA and others have been talking a lot about this concept of secure by design or secure by and secure by default and how security can be built um, into the product by manufacturers from the start um, and how that will impact kind of the um, the rest of the industry. It's really cool to see it play out. For sure. I mean, Jenny's really is doing God's work at CISA by getting that stuff out in front of folks and really bringing a level of thought leadership I never thought I would see from the government um, in terms of in terms of bringing that out in front of people and and making it accessible. Like, you know, you'll have a conversations with folks that are not in security and be like, I read this thing. And you're like, like, awesome. Fantastic. And it's forcing that conversation about what, is, what does that mean? How do we hold our supply chains accountable? Um, how do we, how do we work together? How do we make this, the public private partnership work together to drive that security up? And I, so yeah, I, I love the stuff that they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. One of the sessions that I went to today, um, Bob Lord with CISA was talking a little bit about secured by design and he was comparing it to the auto industry and basically, you know, in the same vein, um, you know, car manufacturers need to build security controls into cars because um, from the start, because if they don't, then ultimately the drivers are the ones that are going to be hurt. And that's the same um, thought behind cybersecurity, you know, security um, controls need to be built into the products because at the end of the day, the end users are the ones that are going to be using it. I just thought that was an interesting comparison. Yeah, but the, and amazing analogy, but the tricky part about software security is the liability doesn't flow the same way that it does yeah. in, uh, in physical goods, right? If there's a recall, like it might be somewhere down the supply chain, but the person who's going to fix it is down the supply chain. Whereas you know, if, if you're at the top of a software security stack, you almost aggregate the risk of everything below you and you don't really have any way to push it down to like the, the every software license basically disclaims liability. Um, and also you might be using open source for which there is no, there is no contract, right? And so the, the, it's, a, it's an apt analogy, but it breaks down because, you know, software aggregates risk in a, in a, from a decentralized pool. Whereas the car, like, yes, you can go to Ford and, and Ford will go to the guy who, you know, made the vulnerable component that's in there and you'll get a recall notice in the mail. We don't have that mechanism for cyber yet. 
Absolutely, yeah. Well, I wanted to ask real quick uh, before we wrap up here, if there are any other takeaways that you wanted to make sure that you uh, talked about relating um, to Expel's report or just any trends that you're seeing having to do with CISOs and the challenges that they face in general, anything, anything else there? I thought that one thing that was interesting in the CSA report was that it seems like some people are moving workloads out of the cloud um, and back on prem. And and you know, as a person who built on prem infrastructure for most of his early career, I find this fascinating um, because there were a lot of advances and like things you just don't have to think about anymore when you when you deploy something in serverless or in the cloud or, or you know it, where now you you have to think about them again. I think what's what's interesting for us as Expel is we cover a lot of that infrastructure, and so we can help folks on the security side do that. Um, and we've launched some products that 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 have helped folks with Kubernetes and, and whatnot. But the like, if you're bringing you're bringing all of those problems that you had before back online, and now you and now you have to build the security stack for that again. And I I thought it was fascinating that businesses were making that choice consciously and recognizing that it was maybe. Like there was cost behind some of it, particularly for development environments and things. And I was like, "Huh, they're willing to take that on," um, and and there and for good reason. And I, I, that was a I, honestly, I wasn't expecting to to see that. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting one to track for sure. Um, well, Greg, thank you so much for taking the time. It was really interesting to talk to you today and learn more about kind of your current role and, and previous experiences. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Thanks. Well, you-